This is Creators in Vietnam with Tuesi and Moni. We aim to inspire you on your journey by interviewing creative entrepreneurs across Vietnam who make a positive impact on their community and their own lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today, we have the pleasure to welcome Ania, who has a very interesting background. She was born in Poland, where she attended French school since first grade. Then she moved to Vietnam at the age of 16 to finish French high school in Hanoi. She shares her challenges and gains as a third culture kid and how she is trying to define the meaning of home. She is now passionate about addressing taboo topics in Vietnam, such as mental health or gender equality, through her YouTube channel and TikTok called Banana Noi. She will talk about her struggles as a creator and the impact she wants to make. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Welcome back to Creators in Vietnam. This is Moni, and today I'm here with my co-host Tracy. Hello. And Anya. Hello, hello. Welcome, Anya. Uh, we are so excited to have Anya here. We, I don't know if you might seen her YouTube channel, Bananoi. So Anya is a Polish Vietnamese and she's currently living in Hanoi. And yes, she, she has the YouTube channel called Banana Oi. No, Bananoi. Bananoi. <laughs> where she talks about topics that are still taboo in Vietnam, like such as feminism, LGBT or mental health. So we are really excited to welcome her here just to talk about these topics and really how she observes the reception of these topics in Vietnam in general. So welcome, Anya. Thank so, you so much. I'm very glad to be here. It's good to have you. Yeah, happy to have you here. So just as a warm-up question, maybe we start with how you came to Vietnam, because actually your coming to Vietnam is, for me, is very extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> because you came, you were sent to Vietnam, or I don't know how it happened, mm -hmm. at the age of 16. So you grew up in Poland, and then you were sent to a French school in Hanoi at the age of 16. So how was that transition for you? How was it to grow up like that as a teenager? Okay, so you will need uh, like the, the backstory because I didn't know that I was gonna end up in Vietnam, actually. I got sent without my knowledge. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> you took an airplane for Japan and you had... <laughs> no, I, I, took, uh, I took the plane just for the summer vacation. I was gonna visit mm. my family for the summer. But they never got me the ticket back home. And oh. I didn't know. Yeah. So it was very, very hard. I found out randomly by having like lunch with my aunt. And I think she, by mistake, like something slipped out of her mouth. And she said something like, oh, you're going to love it here. The French school, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I felt it, something in me, inside of me. Because back in Poland, it was the period where I was going through, like, the rebel years. Yeah. And it was very tough on my mom, who was a single mom back then. My dad was uh, in Vietnam. He had his own family. So it was just her raising me by herself. And it was extra hard for her because as a kid growing up, I was, like, the typical Asian, yeah. Asian angel playing the piano speaking multiple languages, doing whatever she wanted, you know. So when I became a teenager, I don't know why something in me, I just I just didn't want to be that person anymore. I wanted to be myself. So I started doing things like any other Western teenager would do yeah. in Poland, right? Which at the end of the day is not that big of a deal. But for a Vietnamese family with, with our traditions, our views of how a daughter should act, that was a big deal for my mom. So like smoking cigarettes or going to parties, yeah. lying and skipping school, you know, my grades would go down. So I think it had a very negative effect on her and we weren't getting along anymore. So I think she was very scared for my well-being. I think she exaggerated a little bit by expecting me to become this, I don't know, like some kind of a drug addict maybe, mm, going yeah. the wrong path, <laughs> being influenced by the wrong people which was not the case at all. And so she sent me to Vietnam to live with my aunt, also to kind of reconnect with my culture, with my roots, because I didn't speak Vietnamese very well back then. Mm -hmm. And I had a very distorted view of Vietnamese people, to be honest. 
because in the first place, why I ended up in Vietnam, why my mom found out that I was doing all these things was because of the Vietnamese culture in Poland. Because everybody knows each oh, other there, yeah, right? You the know, same. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so when I would go out in the street and I would have a cigarette in my hand, some random Vietnamese people would come up to me and they were like, hey, aren't you the daughter of this person oh, wow. and this yeah. person? I'm yeah. like, fuck, no. And I, just, <laughs> and I would just run, but they would know. And gossips would start within yeah. the community and my mom would find out. Mm, how big is the community in Poland? It is quite big. I think the yeah. biggest one is in Czech Republic, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. And, then and then it's Hungary. No, I think Poland is much bigger. Really? Like in Hungary, I think only a few hundred thousand, like two, three hundred thousand. Yeah, same what, in Poland. What, I think uh, it's what like type of community are we talking about? Because I thought France was the biggest one. <laughs> oh, like can we talk about Eastern Europe? Uh, okay, yeah. Eastern. Okay, was it the same in Poland where like it was agreements between Vietnam and no um I don't sorry i don't know the history about all of this but i think it's mostly because of the soviet bloc okay you know? yeah. yeah so it's similar to hungary so people would yeah. go to to the soviet bloc to like mm -hmm. study there and after it collapsed then they would just go to all those countries like czech republic yeah, hungary poland yeah yeah so, yeah. yeah yeah i can okay. completely relate to what anya yeah. is saying is basically it's like a small tight community yeah, yeah, yeah. so basically imagine like a little village inside a town with other Polish people and then some people see you and then they report it back to your parents yeah, 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 yeah. and it's ridiculous I, I think it's because the Vietnamese community abroad in general they tend to not immerse themselves in yeah. the local yeah. culture because they don't really speak the language that well they only speak what is necessary for them to to basically make a living you know yeah, business exactly. restaurants They don't have many Polish friends and they just hang out with each other. They always see each other on the weekends in their free mm -hmm. times. Yeah. So all their life revolves around the Vietnamese community. Yeah, same in Hungary because Hungarian language is really, really hard. Oh, uh, Polish is harder. Yeah. I, I heard Polish is the hardest language in Europe. Yeah. yeah. And then my dad could speak it because he learned it in Vietnam for mm. two years before coming to okay. Hungary because he studied. Okay. But like, for example, my mom, she came to work and then she didn't get that education and then to learn Hungarian at the age of 18 I mean you can but it's it's really challenging so it at is. the end of the day they all hanged out with other uh, let's say immigrants because I think also they could understand each other the best mm -hmm. and I don't think at that time the distinction was so big between the immigrants and the locals that mm -hmm. there was no bridge yet right. between the two so And I think they were very nostalgic still about, yeah. you know, leaving their home country. It was like a big step for them. Mm -hmm. Imagine, we have the internet, we are third culture kids, and yet it's still a big step for us to, like, move out of your comfort zone to live in a new country. So imagine them, like, yeah. 30 years ago, yeah. with no internet, no language, you just start a completely new life in a new continent. We, like, that's scary. Did uh, your parents come together? Um, my dad went there first mm -hmm. for like a year and then my mom joined him. Okay, so they knew each other before coming to Poland. Yes, and so they married here mm -hmm. and actually my, my big brother, he was born in 1990 in Vietnam and they had to leave him in Vietnam in the care of my maternal grandmother. I see, yeah. Because they didn't have the means to bring him there. Mm -hmm. Nobody would be able to take care yeah. of him there. So they sacrificed and they had to leave him here in Vietnam. And then once they got the means, they took him to Poland when he was like 11. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. So I was like seven years old at the time. And it was a big transition for me as well because I knew, I always knew I had a brother, but it was like in the back of my head. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually live with a brother. So I was yeah. living like the only child, you know? Yeah. So when he came to Poland, it was like a big transition in my life. I had to like readapt how to live with a sibling. Mm -hmm. and he ended up not liking it i think it was the age where when it's hard to adapt yeah. when you do, don't speak the language 11 is, is kind of old for yeah, that yeah exactly he had all his friends back here so he stayed he also attended french school for like a few years and then for high school he went back to poland because uh, he went back to vietnam mm -hmm. yeah because he didn't enjoy his experience in poland so much Yeah. This is so interesting because like it's it's also that promise that like you know the Europe is going to have a better life 
but it seems that like you know for a kid that is 11 and enjoying i mean like the life in vietnam is not that drastically bad yeah. but uh to, to to be able to like i mean he went to europe he saw actually life is not that good <laughs> and then yeah. actually he could make the decision to go back that's interesting to to know yeah. you probably both of you have a very different life no different we're so <laughs> different we are yeah. like, literally two opposites on the spectrum yeah, yeah. I can, i'm sure of that and also like i think at that time it was not common for parents to know how it impacts a child to mm-hmm. move them between countries yeah. because there were no other examples mm-hmm. that you know experienced mothers who can say like hey it's gonna you know mess up <laughs> your child a little bit mm-hmm. uh, if you do that like how how was it for you like how your mom came to this conclusion that the best for you or maybe the safest for you to to go to vietnam like how how the conversation was i think i think she was just following her instincts You know, I don't say that I agree with what she did, but now with retrospect, I am almost kind of grateful that she did because if she didn't, I wouldn't have all the experience I had in Vietnam. Maybe right now I would still be hating Vietnamese people. Who knows? (laughs) And I'm glad I had that experience because I wouldn't be the person that I am today if if I hadn't had had that experience because it was a big chapter in my life. And I think it was a very defining moment as well in our relationship with my mom because, you know, it was all lovey-dovey at first and then I became a teen and it was just hate, a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. And then when she sent me back, that was like the the biggest kind of anger and yeah. like betrayal and I just couldn't believe what she did to me. But after some time... When I made up my mind that, okay, instead of sulking and being like an angry kid, I'm actually going to try to enjoy my experience in Vietnam because that's the best way for the time to fly as fast mm-hmm. as possible. That's when I realized that, you know what, like maybe it's not that bad at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And when I went to university and I looked back um, at my life, I was glad that she did what she did. I just wish she didn't do it behind my back. Yeah. You know, I just wish there was yeah. enough trust between like mother and daughter to have a honest conversation mm-hmm. and tell me like hey i feel like three years in vietnam is gonna help you to become like this mature woman mm-hmm. and that it's gonna bring you a, a lot of experience that you're gonna appreciate and yeah at least to, for me to have a chance to say yeah. goodbye to my friends because mm-hmm. that was the yeah. hardest part i didn't get to have closure Yeah. you know hindsight is 2020 we say like it's always like in retrospective you can always say what would be good but do you think if she would have told you this when you were 16 you would have received that information the same way man i probably would have <laughs> run away <laughs> like are you telling me this i'm gonna do the attack opposite oh, yeah, exactly. now i'm saying this being me right yeah. now but as as the angry teen i was back then i would have probably run away from yeah. home yeah good point <laughs> <laughs> so how's your relationship with your mom now Um, it's still a love-hate relationship because yeah. we're very different mm-hmm. and she's very short-tempered. Mm. But it's much better now because we at least have interesting conversations about different topics and she's quite open-minded when mm. it comes to sex, for example, or mental mm. health, things mm. like that. But in terms of personality, we're yeah. very, very different. And did you tell her what you just told us about like you know you you wish you had closure with your friends and you and like you know, you wish you she didn't had gone behind your back about this we did have like a little conversation back when i was in university when mm-hmm. we were on holiday in france and i did tell her how much it mm-hmm. hurt me so we had like a yeah like a heartfelt kind of conversation when, see. and she told me that she did it you know because she thought that was the best for me yeah and i know i know that i i, I believe I her when she says that she didn't do it to hurt me on purpose mm-hmm. you know yeah. Yeah. Uh, she just didn't know what to do she was confused herself yeah. can i also ask you to go, going back to your parents uh, sorry the, you said that they were separated mm-hmm. when did that happen in the timeline of your life so okay So one little detail that I forgot, <laughs> but I also forget. I actually, so my parents divorced when I was about nine-ish. Mm-hmm. And basically my dad moved to Vietnam. And for the summer, I went back to see him and he kidnapped me. Mm. So he took oh. he took my passport because he didn't want me to go back to Poland to my mom. And he knew that my mom wouldn't agree. So he just kept the passport and he was like, no, she's staying with me. Mm. 
And so I actually oh, wow. attended French school already in fifth grade here. So when I came back in high school, I already knew some of the people. So my experience mm. at least was less traumatizing in the sense that I wasn't that much of a new kid. Mm -hmm. I was a new kid, but I, at, at least I had a familiar face I to see. the students so, there. So he kid uh. kidnapped you, quote unquote, or kidnapped you for how long? Like how long did that last? For a year. For a year. That's yeah. kind of a long kidnap. <laughs> how is your relationship with your dad now? <laughs> yeah, it's more or less okay. We don't uh, spend too much time together because yeah, yeah. he lives far away. And he has his own family and he struggles a bit because he has a, like an autistic uh, child. I see, yeah. Yeah, so we don't get to spend much time together. Yeah. But uh, it's fine. It's life, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's life, but it's heavy. I mean, I, I understand, like, you know, at nine, it's, it's probably not. Did you make some of those, you know, life events, like your brother coming, your dad doing this, the separation of your parents like this must have triggered this nice teenagehood <laughs> yeah, for sure. i mean like i can see where m probably the angst came yeah. came about after yeah most probably yeah. yeah i'm curious how was it to be a teenager in vietnam because i remember i did what you did actually <laughs> when i was 16 going to clubbing trying out drinking even had my first cigarettes do anything that is it's against anything <laughs> basically mm. and how how was it that For you, when you came to Vietnam, like, did you carry on doing all of that or how? <laughs> uh, so I did carry on, <clears throat> but I didn't have my mom in the surroundings. Oh. So I was controlled by my aunt. And uh, yeah, so I was living in a house in Dongda area. And we had a lot of people, a lot of generations living in that house. Mm. So we had like the grandparents of my uncle and then my uncle and uh, his wife and then my cousins as well. And then their babies were born. So we were all living together in one house. Mm -hmm. So going out at night was hard because my aunt wouldn't let me because she doesn't also have the same view. Yeah. My mom, for example, she would because she knows that that's what people do in Poland, right? That's what kids do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She would just tell me, okay, you have curfew at this time. You have to get back. And she would be careful not to have like cigarette smell on me. You know, she would check up on me. So I didn't actually get to go out at night that much. Like I wish I did, which was also hard for me because I saw my friends all having like this experience without me. And I had this yeah. huge FOMO and I was like, mm. man, I want to do that too. I just mm. missed this concert. I just missed that party. And it was hard, but I did still smoke cigarettes at school. You know, <laughs> that it's, yeah. you cannot control that. The, the, how, how was the French high school? You went to a French school. Was mm -hmm. it like the French international school? Yes, French so like, international school. Probably full of like privileged kids. and Definitely. Yeah, so it was, it must have been French a drastic kids. paradox of like going back to that Vietnamese environment. And mm. then at school, every kid is like very privileged. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't really, I mean, my uncle would still like drop me off by, by bicycle, mm -hmm. you know. Like I wouldn't be driven like with a with a driver yeah. in a in a taxi in a car or something. So I was very aware of my privilege mm -hmm. from when I was young. So how did you, if you can look back now in those three years, how did you manage to find a place for yourself? How did you exist? Because <laughs> there is you talked about FOMO, and I'm I'm sure if I can relate to my experience, like, you know, I, I, I went to a high school in the middle of Paris with all the rich kids, very privileged, mm -hmm. and I had to go back to my little suburb. And as soon as I would walk into the door, it was Vietnam. So when I was going to party, my dad, if I could go to a party, when I would come back home at 8, 9 p.m., when the party just started over there, <laughs> he would smell my mouth to see if there was any smell of alcohol or right. cigarettes. And so for me, it was like, it was this big game of trying to belong somewhere, trying to exist somewhere. So at the party, I, I knew I had only 20 minutes to like enjoy as much or make a name for myself or like, just appear, just to be there, mm, you know? So yeah. how did you manage in those three years to find people to surround yourself with or that understood you? To be honest, like the, the people that attended the French school, they weren't like the snobbish, yeah. arrogant, rich kids that you see in movies. <laughs> they were very much relatable. Yeah. They would go to clubs that are frequented by locals, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. very kind of dirty, like underground. I see. It wouldn't mm -hmm. be like the posh clubs because that's not what yeah. we're into usually. Mm -hmm. 
So I didn't have that much of a clash in that sense. I also remember like when I was that age, I was just define myself as Hungarian because mm. everything I learned, my surrounding was everything, the pop culture that I saw in the TV, everything was westernized. And mm. also I had Hungarian friends mainly. I hang out with the Vietnamese community once in a while, let's say Lunar New Year or something like that. But it's not like I hang out with Vietnamese kids all the time. So my perception of myself was I'm Hungarian. And it's just that I had this fight, of course, with the parents. Like, yeah, my mom saying like, no, you are Vietnamese. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm Hungarian. Mm. <laughs> and since you are taken out from Poland, so you're actually Polish. I, I imagine you considered yourself Polish when you came to Vietnam. Yeah, how did you consider And then you, you meet other people around you, probably a lot of French, who are just French. They know that they are French. Mm. Or they could be other Vietnamese kids who went to the French school. Mm -hmm. So they are, for sure, they are Vietnamese they right. consider themselves Vietnamese and then now you jump in <laughs> not embracing yet your Vietnamese side you're not really French because none of your mm -hmm. parents are French but you are in this French environment surrounded with Vietnam <laughs> yeah definitely I feel like to be honest I never really Actually, it's very interesting. It's very confusing for me as a third culture kid because I feel like even other third culture kids wouldn't be able to relate to me because yeah. I'm Polish in my passport. I was born and raised there, but I never attended Polish school. So I don't feel Polish that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like even right now, my Polish, I, I keep forgetting Polish and Right now, I have a friend who came back, also a Viet Kiel, who came back to po Vietnam from Poland. And I'm so grateful so grateful for her because I get to practice my Polish with her. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, my Polish is getting so much worse because I don't get anybody to practice it with. And I never attended Polish school. So I don't have like the same cultural mm -hmm. kind of knowledge. Yeah. You know, I don't have that many Polish friends. I have more international friends. Mm -hmm. But at the French school... Even if they were mainly just French people or just Vietnamese people, it would often be children of diplomats. So they're used to traveling around mm. the world a lot. So yeah. in a way, they're also third culture kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, I actually I have a few friends from a French in, or international school in general, kids of diplomats. And they, they, uh, cause the third culture kid is, is a notion that I've, I didn't know last year. I, did you, you started talking about it. There was another guy, Vicky, that started talking about it. I was like, what is a third culture kid? Like for <laughs> me, I didn't know I was just an immigrant or a Vicky. Mm. But I, and I know a lot of, uh, when I started talking about this, a lot of international school people that grew up there relate to that word a lot. Cause like, uh, you know, their parents brought them in Thailand. And they grew up in Thailand for 10 years and mm. they're white as fuck. <laughs> they're like, yeah, but I, I feel Thai in some ways. And it, it, it's, it's very complicated. That identity crisis, I think, takes another dimension. Definitely. Yeah. yeah that's so interesting. Also, like the question of what makes you into an identity. Because I was in Hungary until I was 24. So I only been away for six years. And the way you be part of the culture is when you learn about those subtle jokes, the way people express themselves. Exactly. And also the politics is also somehow like a connector or, mm -hmm. or like this kind of connection with the history. Like when you learn about the history, let's say Poland or Hungary or France, then you kind of immerse yourself the, to the sentiment of the country, how how people view life. And, and then when you kind of, get detached from it because you have to grow up somewhere else but like still part of you is 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 belong to that identity somehow um yeah i'm just uh, sorry i'm just like no i i completely relate to that and that's why i said that not being able to attend polish school kind of limits my identity as a Polish person because mm -hmm. I didn't mm. get to go through all those subjects in Polish. I didn't get to like talk behind mm. the back of the teachers mm. in Polish yeah. and have all those Polish friends and skipping school in a Polish way. Yeah. You know, everything was very much like private school within like a small French ah, so community. Wait, but so like in Poland, like you went to a Polish school? Did no, you? I went to French school. Oh, so you were Since in the French. In, oh, so in yes. you were in a French environment. Exactly. Why that choice? 
I guess my parents just wanted me to have a better future. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, it was one of the private schools. I see. Yeah. And they couldn't afford the American school. So I they see. They put yeah. me in a French one. In a French school. <laughs> yeah, 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 I see. And so how do you, it's very interesting for me. So how do you relate with the French culture? But that's the thing, you know, like I don't feel like I can relate 100% to uh -huh. one culture because with the French culture, I only attended French school. Mm -hmm. I lived in France for two years in Lyon, mm -hmm. which at the end of the day is not that much. Yeah, I think the, the biggest kind of relatable thing is that I dated a lot of French guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. As long as you participate in the social matters of, of, of a culture, like, you know, you get to, you know, you get to have your opinion. I think that's one thing too that I had to find peace within for my identity crisis because I, I so my Vietnamese part was always to the side. I never grew up with the Vietnamese community. I didn't have that that negative privilege that you two had of, like, <laughs> of being observed. My father was really so outside fun, of the so Vietnamese community, <laughs> except at home where he had his own version of Vietnam, which did involve since 1971 when he came to France, I think. Mm. And I was French, but never really French, because in France, they're very good at reminding you that you're never going to be right. French if you don't have that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I pointed at my face if people can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when I went to Canada when I was 19, suddenly there was this French pride that ignited inside of me. It's like suddenly people see me as a little bit of French and culturally. And I was like, oh, I'm so French. I know everything about wine and cheese. And mm. I didn't know anything about it. And then when I moved to Australia, I started, people like looked at me more as a Canadian person because my English was very Canadianized. And then when I came to Vietnam, suddenly I'm like this bag of, I'm like this gray area. Most of the people think I'm Filipino now. <laughs> so now the way I deal with it is I am whichever culture that I want to be whenever it suits me best. Right. And that's how I dealt with it. It's like, I'm tired to, I'm tired of a French person telling me, Hey, but you're not French. Mm. I'll be like, no, I'm French because it suits me. And I have the privilege to be French when it's the World Cup, for example, of soccer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if it doesn't please you, then fuck off, you yeah. know, and then I'll be Vietnamese as much as I want to be when it suits me best, right. you know, and then there is always someone that is going to tell you, oh, but you don't belong here. Mm. And so I've got used to not belonging anywhere, but to belong wherever I want to belong. Yeah. Well, this, like the belonging thing, I feel like is I'm, I'm still struggling with that a mm -hmm. lot because for me, it's not even people telling me that you don't belong here. It's me myself telling mm -hmm. myself that I don't belong anywhere. Yeah. And I actually hate that question when people come up to me and they're like, hey, so where are you from? I'm like, question. I, I try to I try to read the person and be like, does this person deserve the long story uh, yeah. <laughs> or like the summary? Yeah. Or should I just say that, you know what, I'm Vietnamese, fuck yeah. it. I don't want to go through the, through yeah. the explanation yeah. again. You, you said uh, the, the answer you just said, we interviewed a guy named Mark, shout out to Mark. His mother is Mexican and his father is Vietnamese or vice versa, I don't remember. And then he's in Vietnam now teaching salsa. I don't know if you've ever met him. Uh, you should meet him. It, but he said the exact same thing than you. It's so funny. It's like he meets people and it's it's always this dynamic. It's like, do they deserve the long version yeah. or not? <laughs> you know, and it's always this game where, oh, fuck, I know I have a special situation. Right. Do I want to go in a long discussion? Does this person yeah. deserve my time or yeah, not? And exactly. it's like, and I feel very similar when like, people ask me, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to say I'm French mm. or I'm Vicky Fab. And that's it. Like, in but like, because so it is very yeah. energy and time consuming. You yeah, know? yeah. Like it depends whether you want to make that the main topic of the conversation or do you want to go straight to like football or yeah. like, oh, <laughs> like Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, I also don't like that actually so much the label. Like let's say as if you say it out loud, like I'm a feminist in a f as a first sentence when you meet someone. I feel like it, you already create some kind of perception mm. in the other person and then... Mm. I just don't necessarily want to start with that, like, hey, I'm this country and this country, and then all the association of that country just yeah. coming into the head of the person, right. and, I, and I'm already boxed into yeah, something. Yeah. I know what you and mean. And that's why I also don't like, like, where are you from? And then when I ask, like, oh, Hungary and Vietnamese is such an interesting combo, yeah. and how? And like, <laughs> so what type of so what type of icebreaker question do you like? If it's not like, hey, where are you from? Which situation you appreciate? Oh, this person didn't ask me where I was from, but he asked me. I, I would often just maybe find something out on the on in the person physically and be mm -hmm. like, oh, those are really cool socks. Where did you get them? I see. And yeah. the conversation would just start flowing naturally mm -hmm. about socks. And then yeah. from socks, we would jump to, oh, like, oh, th there is this cafe that had this market with the socks. And we would, and we would just start talking about cafes. You I know? see. Just yeah. let the conversation grow naturally and not make it like about someone 
specifically and their upbringing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where are you from? If I say I'm from Poland or Vietnam, what does it say about me? Like, what does it change, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for your perception of me? Yeah. And same when in Vietnam, they ask, like, which region are you from? And because I have the Huey accent. Oh, and then you? and then they already like, oh, Huey and Mien Chung. And then they start to give me all that Mien Chung stuff. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Mien Chung is a middle island of Vietnam. Mm. Yes. For someone who doesn't understand Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to justify yourself. It's okay. People should know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, very interesting. Thanks for sharing uh, about your upbringing. Yeah. Um, it's actually nice, actually, to belong where you want to. Because that's how I resolved it for myself. I, I can be whoever I want to. I can be one day Hungarian and the other day Vietnamese. The other day even a little bit of Dutch. Because mm -hmm. I also lived five years in the Netherlands. And I feel like it's also impacting my own personality. And... Yeah. Why should I care other people? Other people are probably just jealous. <laughs> it's it's also for me. It was like the um, a big battle of accepting that you're gonna be in a place where you're gonna be misunderstood, no matter what's, what's gonna happen. Nobody has lived your life, mm. and the, the reason why people are asking, like, you know, where you're from, is because there is some normal situation. There is you know that normal path you grew up with a, with a family that has a father and a mother. There is like you know the, you have normal brother. Everything is supposedly normal. Yeah. And for me, it was like to come to terms that I'm never going to have a normal life. So I'm never going to be able to introduce myself normally. Mm -hmm. like, and to be understood was such a big quest in my life where I understood like, oh, no, maybe I should understand myself first right. <laughs> and then not care about if someone is going to or not battle the fact that someone is misunderstanding me because yeah. I am who I am at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I am who I am and I love myself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I feel like people, when they meet you and you're this third culture kid who traveled around the world, mm -hmm. they're like, oh my God, you're so lucky. You speak five languages. That's amazing. And I often tell them that yes, but it is also like kind of like the privilege that I yeah. had. You yes. know, like if I speak five languages, it is only because I was born in Poland mm -hmm. with Vietnamese parents. Yeah attending French school where I learned Spanish yeah. as well. So it's not like I, I did it myself. So I often have this kind of imposter syndrome. And it's the same with like the, the identity crisis that I mm. have. Because I feel like I cannot I cannot call myself a Polish person if I don't fully know the history, if I don't fully know the streets because I haven't been there in like a few years and yeah. I feel like a tourist now. If I don't speak the language yeah. like 100% fluently, if I don't have enough Polish friends, uh. you know? Same with French. Yeah, like, I cannot yeah. consider myself French because, well, I'm not French. I don't have French <laughs> parents. I, 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 was, I wasn't born in France. And it's the same with Vietnam. I feel like among all the cultures, I can identify the most with Vietnamese side of me, funnily, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because now I'm starting to have more uh, Vietnamese friends. I've been living in Vietnam for a while now. I had a part of my childhood teenage years yeah. mm -hmm. in vietnam which also shaped me but i still struggle with the language you know i still yeah. say a lot of stupid shit that people make fun of me <laughs> so it is it is hard you know I, and yeah. that's like the downside that that's the it's also yeah it's um like when people are saying like oh you're so lucky probably mm. they're looking at it in a very comparisonal yeah. way where it's like i didn't get to do those things exactly. so that means if you get to do those you're, you must the lucky be, one. you're a lucky one but they don't understand that a lot of the things that you might have done in your rebellious year yeah maybe you traveled in so many countries but you did it out of angst mm. or out of escapism or out of like not understanding yourself because you've done all those travels you have all those experiences there is a moment in your life when you're able to reflect on them. It gives you a lot of like insights and maturity. And I'm sure you can see that in, you're not from, you can't call yourself French or, you know, like, but you have so much insights. You have so much understanding in all those cultures mm. that I'm sure that's the reason why you started this YouTube channel was to share that insights, to share, to share those understanding. Mm. That's all I wanted to say, actually. There is no question yeah. out of that. <laughs> yeah, no. Grass yeah. is always green on the other side. You right. know, be, yeah. being jealous for those who always live in the in exactly. one couch. And like, that's so comfortable. Exactly. You know exactly what you should say, yeah. how you should think. Exactly. But then there's this beauty side of like being multicultural that mm -hmm. I can think from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also like word broadening experience. Definitely. Yeah. But there's always this side of you that wishes at least for me 
that when I travel, I'm like, oh, I'm tired of traveling. I just want to go home. Mm. I just want to yeah. feel at home. Yeah. And then I think, but where is home? What is yeah. home? Because yeah. I don't feel yeah. at home in Poland. Mm. I don't really feel at home in Vietnam. Yeah. There's no place that I can yet call home. So I'm hoping that maybe, I don't know, by randomly picking a place, maybe it's going to be Mexico or, I don't know, yeah. somewhere in Africa, Morocco, who knows? Maybe that's when I'll finally feel home. Yeah, this is also a concept that I'm, I'm actually exploring in myself. And I, mm. I think I kind of started to find it. Like, I'm not going to say it in the podcast, but I had a trip anyway. In the mind. <laughs> <laughs> It was before moving to Vietnam where I was also contemplating like where is it home and I was in Amsterdam and I felt at home in Amsterdam, I felt at home in Hungary. But then again, like where is it my home, the home? And I had to realize that actually if once I find the people who understand me, who accept me, who I am, and that's what actually yeah. home for me. Mm. When I find that connection to the people and... And it doesn't matter yeah. where it is, whether it's yeah. in Vietnam, Hungary, right. anywhere else. I think where you are feel the most at home when you are understood mm, and accepted understood for who you are. And accepted by yourself is a big step. Yeah, yeah. Like, you'll of never course, feel like, at home <laughs> if you're not yourself. home within yourself too. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a big part. Yeah, yeah. So first yeah. within yourself and then the next one yeah. is to build that meaningful connection it's always that, yeah. around. I always thought that I could find the answers of my angst or or of my doubts and like where do i belong outside externally from a love from you know even love i thought like love could just happen to someone else like you know i could just love someone but i didn't know how to love myself i didn't understood myself i didn't accept myself so for me like you know i'm 36 years old so i i can talk like a, an older person a wise man <laughs> a, a wise man as long as you keep on asking yourself where do i belong You, you will not find where you belong. I mean, I wish for you to go to Morocco. I wish for you to go to Mexico because you'll realize that it's only probably there that you'll have enough silence to take the time to answer that question within yourself. Mm. Where it's because it's a trip within. Right. A trip within, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, it's really. <laughs> Because here, maybe there is so much history, there is so much connotation with Vietnam and who you are. And in France too, and in Poland too, and all those things, there's always going to be someone telling you, yeah. I'm more than you, mm -hmm. or I'm more this than you. And it's, it's all those external input, but where find a place where you can find proper silence and really go, okay, I'm going to answer it today. Mm -hmm. Not because I want to be Mexican or I want to mm -hmm. be Moroccan, but this place gives me enough transparency with myself to go okay yeah where do i belong now you know right. yeah. enough, enough distance yeah. from all of the other places yeah, yeah. but basically yeah. when you travel like what i experienced while traveling alone that i let go of anything that defines my <laughs> ego basically the income the job the, mm. the the school i went to and then when you travel like who cares which school you attended to like your diploma your career trajectory mm -hmm. like No one that matters when you detach while you are traveling, for example, or being in another place. And that's where you start to learn who you are and what is it that actually you want to be. Right. Sounds so easy to do. Yeah, but it's not It's like people were like, you need to be able to date yourself. You need to be able to, to live in solitude. And I'm like, but... <laughs> it's all nice slogans. Yeah, but yeah. when you actually do it... Well, yeah, for me, it was like every time that I, there was a bit of silence in, around me, I would get all shaky and nervous and because there was so much noise in there and there was so much reason to not be happy, really. And like I didn't know how to make the choice of happiness and nobody ever teach you those things. So, I mean, that's why I really appreciate you talking about mental health, especially yeah. in Vietnam. Cause it's, I think mm, it's so yeah. important and yeah, yeah. I think it's still very much stigmatized, mm. especially also how we say in Vietnamese, Yeah, like, like going to a therapist, for example. I never know how to how to give advice to my Vietnamese mm. friends. Like, oh, you should go see a therapist. Because in English, the word therapist does not really have a negative connotation like it does in Vietnamese. Because yeah. in Vietnamese, we call it bác sĩ tâm lý. And it basically has this negative connotation that you must be crazy yeah. to go see a doctor of mentality, in a way. Yeah. So people don't want to be labeled as crazy, yeah. you know. People want to be viewed as, oh, I'm normal. I have a normal life with a normal job, you know. I, I'm supposed to be happy, so why would I go see this doctor? Mm -hmm. 
I don't want to be viewed as that person. And they're just scared of looking weak, yeah. looking Always. sick, yeah. you know? Yeah. How you yes. learned yourself to actually talk about it more openly? When was it that in your stage of life when you start to speak more openly about mental health with your surrounding, also with the locals? I think it's when people started opening up about it. Because back when I was growing up, we didn't really talk about mental health at all. And I was a very depressive teenager. I went through a lot of depression episodes in my life, and I didn't really know how to deal with it. And that's when, in my surroundings, my French friends, they start telling me that they're going to therapy. And that was the first time that I was kind of, that I faced that I was like, oh, therapy, interesting. Because mm-hmm. I also, I myself thought that therapy is for people who really have some serious kind of conditions, mm-hmm. like schizophrenia or something like that, yeah. you know? So I had my own misconceptions about it. But then I learned that, you know what? Like, it's impossible now to live in a world without being traumatized. You yeah. have so many traumas growing up. Exactly. And that's why I also hate it almost that so many people in Vietnam are having children just because society says that it, you should have children yeah. like they're not ready and it ends up affecting those poor kids mm-hmm. who are gonna be traumatized adults and because of that trauma and because they refuse to go to therapy they're gonna traumatize their future kids generational it's like trauma it's a vicious cycle yeah, yeah. It's exactly. a, they, they, there's, there's a big work to be done to, about emotional intelligence m- maturity and things because exactly. it's like grown up kids and We, we we talk about Vietnam, but you know, like the, even the word therapist was had a bad connotation 20 years ago mm. in in Canada or in France, and and I I totally relate to that. Like I I I suffered from crystal meth addiction from like 2017 to 2019, so I was 33 years old when I realized that I had deep rooted traumas that I needed to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And I was the, the proper case to have therapy. Like, it was like, okay, you suffer from hard drug addiction and, and you have all those traumas. I lost my mom when I was six and I have like really, really toxic father. And still I was like, no, I'm not going to go to therapy. I'm not crazy. I know how I can fix myself. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to fix myself alone. You know, I'm going to show the people that I'm like. Right. And it took me so long to actually sit down and like do couple therapy first and get the coaches and like have therapy. And because yeah. there was this whole like, I guess we can call it a generational trauma where it's like, yeah, don't be weak, like don't make male toxicity and don't be vulnerable and all this shit. And mm. so I really appreciate every time we can talk about this and be like, yeah, it's okay yeah. to, you know. I appreciate the fact that you can be so vulnerable because yeah. I think it's it's a good example, especially for men, mm-hmm. especially in Vietnam. <laughs> They tend to really hide their vulnerabilities of course. with their sexism in mm-hmm. a way, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I could imagine you see everything because uh, what I what you said at the beginning you lived in a big house where everybody was living together and I think that's the the perfect ground when you just see mm-hmm. all the generational trauma, all that male toxicity, all that gender inequality. So, how <laughs> could you actually talk about it in in your house? Oh man, <laughs> that's 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 a never ending topic in my in my family because of me. And the almost the um, the annoying thing is that I'm labeled as this crazy feminist mm-hmm. just because I speak up sometimes because something is not right. Yeah. When, for example, in my paternal uh, side of the family, we would have like an event. All the men would be sitting at the table drinking alcohol. Oh, uh, yeah. All the women, aunts, cousins, you know, they would have to stand up and pick up the dishes and go wash the dishes <sighs> and wash the table and clean the floor. I would be sitting there with the men. And then I would be told off, hey, like, get your ass up. Yeah. Clean up. Help help us. I'm like, no. Why yeah. aren't they helping? I'm going to help if they're helping too. It's either everybody helps Or I'm not helping. I'm not going to be part of this. Mm. And there's a lot of like, oh my God, this again. <laughs> like they're tired of my bullshit. But yeah. I, I really don't want to participate in that. You know, I understand that it's cultural. But I feel like it's never going to change if if somebody no doesn't speak up. speak up. Yeah, like I, I feel this in my family. Everybody just in the back complaining. But no one dares to say to the older uncle mm-hmm. whoever it is that hey you should lift your ass and clean the house with yeah. me and in Hui, in Mianchung, 
same. <laughs> like on one table, the man drinking, having fun. The other table, the ladies feeding the kids. And then the meal is done. Then everybody, every woman like just start to clean up. And then it's like expected or something. And I'm just like uh, so annoyed. Yeah. I grew up without a mother. So for us doing the dishes, everybody, we were taking turns. Yeah. And I remember going on a Christmas party in a, in Canada to a Vicky family. And all the big family was there, uncles. And it was the first time that I, I saw like a, a real Vietnamese extended family like this. And it was a beautiful Christmas and everything. And then when it came time to, clo- to clean the table, I started taking the dish and I started washing the dishes. Everybody looked at me. Like you're crazy. I was like the like, guest. What is he doing? And I, I was the guest and I was like, I wanted to feel useful. And I was like, what the fuck? And there was nothing based on feminism or anything. For me, it was just normal. Mm. And then and then when everybody looked at me, and my friend, she was this girl, and she she came to me and was like, Hey, what are you doing? Why are you washing the dishes? Are you are you fuck, man? And it's funny because she's in a relationship with a girl now, and she's definitely a feminist in in, in a sense. <laughs> but she was for her, it was at that time, she was like yeah like you know like in a vietnamese traditional family this is the woman needs to do this mm. like you know and, and yeah. you shouldn't do that and i'm like that's a little bit fucked don't you think the point that i'm trying to make is how do you educate without confrontation because when we do those things it's very confrontational and the result might not be the one intended for us yeah so how do you educate the older generation on that how do you attempt that Man, or, that's that's a tough question because yeah. also in Vietnamese culture there is this idea of hierarchy, mm. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That it doesn't matter who you are, the elders will always have more respect than you, and you mm. have to respect them no matter what. Yeah. So, I personally tend to confront the younger generations. So my brother, mm-hmm. my cousins who are from the same generation, I still wouldn't dare to be to come up to my uncle and be like, yo. Get your ass up with me, you know. Clean the go, clean the dishes. Mm-hmm. Of course not, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's my also grandpa. Be the lost battle, I think. It, yeah. Or is it a battle that you? I mean, like, yeah, mean, it's a, yeah, we have to it, choose our battle. Yeah, I think. Is, yeah. It, is it something yeah. that you still? I like. I don't want to expend energy on those things anymore. To uh, try to educate the mm. older generation, like when when you meet someone, it's like, what is the dynamic? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then and maximizing my impact. To the people that I sense are already in that exactly that thinking, like you know, my girlfriend. When we met, she was like, "Yeah, I hate like my mother has to do everything; she has to clean." I was like, mm, "Good candidate." <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you what you should be telling your parents because it's an evolution within the family. And right, of course. So it's, it's like, not going to change, you know, in a day. Yeah, of for sure. Not. And I think it's very important to make your objectives manageable. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you're not going to convince your grandma. Or your grand or your yeah. grandparents in general, like very old generations who have really like a fixed mentality that's not gonna yeah. change no matter what. They're very yeah. stubborn. But the younger generation is slowly changing, I feel, in mm-hmm. Vietnam. And I think the South has also a very big impact as well. Yeah. I haven't been living in Saigon, but I know that people here are very much more open. They are chill. Yeah. They're more educated as well, you know, within those topics, LGBT, mm-hmm. feminism, mental health. And I appreciate a lot. Like I found a lot of Facebook pages as well yeah. that talk about this. So I'm, I'm really glad to see that change in I, Vietnam right yeah. now. I'm actually very amazed by, for example, last year, I watched Sex Education with my girlfriend and it was like subtitled in English. You watch that show? Yeah. On yeah, Netflix, yeah. right? On Netflix. And I was like I so bored. fucking blown away. <laughs> By the fact that now, today, Vietnam has access. Me too, man. Me thanks too. to Netflix. I mm. mean, there is a lot of bad things in Netflix, but there is you can now have access equally at the same time to media that talks about, you know, I mean, sex education talks obviously about sex, but a lot of mental health, a lot of uh, generational communication. Mm. And my girlfriend was like sitting there on the first season. She was like, what? You can talk to, you can talk like this. And do people outside Vietnam talk to like this to their parents? And I'm like, well, it's very mature conversation, but it's something that you should aspire to, exactly. to get to that point. And, you know, like there is so much now f- TV shows, movies that are coming out exactly at the same point. And she watched some French movies that some of my French friends didn't watch yet. And I'm like so amazed about how it will impact the evolution of mentality here in Vietnam. And I'm really excited about it, actually, if people are pointed to the right media, to the right content. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. sure. I was surprised to see like gay people in a Vietnamese movie on Netflix. And I'm like, wow, this is changing. But yeah. most of them are Southern. 
right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never, I haven't seen the northern one, to be honest with you. Mm. What's like, the big difference with the north? Sorry, sorry. I don't know where it comes from, to be honest. I just feel like uh, northern people are more closed-minded. Yeah. Mm. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know the origin. I um, think probably history. History, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like... N- Probably we're not gonna solve this uh, now because mm-hmm. it's a long topic to yeah. figure out like how the north and work differently. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, not. The, we, we don't want to expand too much energy. <laughs> like, and uh, we love the government and everything. <laughs> 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 I don't want to go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, I'm curious. Like when was the moment for you when when you decide like okay, I'm gonna talk about this on YouTube. Mm. How was the process for you? Right. So I, in general, I'm very, I'm an angry person when I see injustice, you know. So it would start within my family and I was speaking up. I would start speaking up about it. And then I would have conversations with my friends and I would see that, oh, they're like actually listening to me and they find what I say insightful. And then I really believe in signs from the universe. Mm. Yeah, me too. So at some point there was a period like a month last year where within a week, like two or three people told me that, oh my God, like you should talk about it. You should like, I don't know, have a YouTube channel or a podcast and talk about it. Like it's very needed in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not a public person. I can barely speak Vietnamese. And I would just be very much in denial that, oh, I'm not good enough, that I don't know what to bring, you know, Mm -hmm. to the table. But then, because I got repeatedly reminded that you should do it, you should do it, you should do it. I was like, okay, I'm going to take this as a sign from the universe and actually do it. So I really moved out of my comfort zone to to make this project happen. Because I I don't really speak well (laughs) in public and speaking in front of a camera. It's almost like speaking in public in a way, even if it's scripted. I still struggle a lot to pronounce the words in Vietnamese that sometimes mm-hmm. I don't even know. I use Google <laughs> Translate. I write my script in English and then I translate it to Vietnamese and sometimes I, I use the the wrong kind of choice of words. Yeah. And after editing and publishing the video, my friends are like, oh, yo, like you should have asked me to like <laughs> double check. You said this 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 word wrong, but it's okay. You're a Viet kill, so we're going to forgive yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I found it actually quite funny, your videos, the way you put it all together. I mean, I really enjoy it. What was the first episode was about? I remember. The first was one was just um, to explain the name, the meaning behind the name. Oh, meaning the name. And then uh, came the feminist one. Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I don't even remember the order. <laughs> I just in the moment, you know. I mean, so, there, is, yeah. there is definitely a need for the content that you're producing. It's always funny to hear like someone is insecure, but like when you see their public image, it's like all oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, but it's always Obviously, like that. Obviously, because it's Social always like that. But it's another... Yeah. So how do you feel right now just talking in a mic? Um, I feel a little bit nervous, but it's the good, good kind of nervous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there was no mic, like we were talking yeah. before the podcast started, <laughs> yeah. I was feeling much more natural. Yeah. But it's okay. It's part of the process, yeah, yeah. you know, I, and I'm eventually yeah. going to get used to it yeah. for the future. Because yeah. I always recommend a podcast to people because like, for me, for example, you put a camera in front of me and I start stuttering mm. and I start being so fucking self-conscious about right. everything that I say. Yeah. I tried to do some, I did a course and I had to film myself with the mic everything and I did like 155,000 takes. <laughs> when like podcasts because there is no camera and i don't have to feel self-conscious it's just me speaking that's why i ask moni like yeah. is it gonna be a, a filming <laughs> yeah. as well or is yeah. it just recording it's it's like, a, I, so that's why i'm like dressed like super casual <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, i found the, the medium of podcasting just with mics is the most comfortable one for me to enter any type of content yeah. creation it's um, just yeah. like a conversation yeah right? how has your channel be received so far so interestingly, I feel like the video that got the most impact was about expats versus mm-hmm. immigrant, like the use of the words, because it got shared on Hanoi Massive Community, which yeah. is like uh. the most known face- expat <laughs> Facebook group. And yeah. a lot of hate. A lot of hate, but also a lot of support, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like at some point it did affect me. I was like, oh man, you know, like all these negative comments, maybe they're right. Maybe I don't know yeah. what, what the fuck mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Maybe I should just shut up. 
But then there were actually people who came to me and made the effort to send me a message, like complete strangers. And they're like, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It is important work. And it reminded me that, you know what? Like those, even if just one person appreciates my work, that for me is enough. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That is a, like a, a sign that I'm doing something good. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And uh, any Vietnamese local reaching out? and Yeah, some. And I feel like recently I, I, I published like also like a podcast episode with three black people living in Vietnam. And for some reason, mm. last like last month or two months ago, there was a surge in the comments and they were all Vietnamese people. Mm -hmm. And they were all saying something like, oh, you oh. know, Vietnamese people are not really racist. They're just not used to the color yeah. of your skin. So it's more like curiosity than actual discrimination. And all of these comments were the same. And I start wondering, maybe somebody posted, like somebody of with course. like a base of followers mm -hmm. shared yeah. it on their social media. And that's how it got known within the local yeah. community. But I appreciate that a lot. I yeah. feel like that's yeah. that's my target audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it must be hard because, and now that I've met you, you have an ease at, at relating with people, but I doubt that there is many people out there that can relate to you. Mm. And so you're also choosing the tool of, of talking about certain topic in a more provocative manner because it ignites you too. And like mm. you have that angst that you yeah. want to express. <laughs> so it's for sure going to trigger people in those debates. Mm. I, I always say that posting anything on any expat group in Vietnam is toxic as fuck. <laughs> it's just full of like one. trolls like yeah. even if you ask in the group like hey where can i get a watch yeah it would be like a full comments of yeah. like just trolling yeah anyway i want to know do you have uh, like people who support you in this yeah. like do you have like a strong vietnamese even the local vietnamese community or like even the expats doesn't matter like who who is there for you to support you to inspire you on this So I, I also got pushed by my boyfriend, who's like a video editor, and he was a big part in, in my YouTube journey, because he was the one who taught me how to edit videos with the program. And I, I really had fun with it. It was very challenging at some moments. I cried a few times because I was so frustrated because I used like a MacBook Air mm -hmm. and not recommended. I got it like in 2013 or something. Oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it was lagging a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. And I had this pressure of like, I need to post one video every week. Mm. I cannot be late. It needs yeah. to be yeah. on the same day, same time. <laughs> yeah. And I was very strict with myself. And then I got burned out. Yeah. And that's why I haven't released any new videos in a long time but new year resolution hey yeah. <laughs> yeah so what's your plan for what's the new year's resolution what's the newest resolution release more videos <laughs> <laughs> i actually started doing tiktok recently yeah. and i think i'm just gonna give it up because i got banned really oh. yeah because of the topics you were talking about or yeah i mean i feel like you know at some point i did talk about rape mm-hmm mm -hmm. And it was sarcasm. And I feel like people in Vietnam have a hard time understanding sarcastic language. Yeah. And they thought that yeah. I was talking seriously. So a lot of people uh. reported the video. Or even just another video that was completely educational of like a plastic dummy doll giving birth. Mm -hmm. So the baby was plastic. There was no blood. There was no real skin. It wasn't real mm. human. Yet it, were, it was reported for nudity, adult nudity or something like that. Oh my and God. And I find it like it's such a shame because in the comments, it was going viral. And mm. in the comments, everybody was asking like, oh, what is that big red piece that's coming out of the vagina? And it's like the placenta. And a lot of people don't know that, what it, what it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. So at the end of the day, it is educational. And that's yeah. the reason why I posted it in the first place. But with the multiple violations my exposure kind of went down mm -hmm. so it's kind of unfair as well because i got a, an appeal so tiktok restored the content but because somebody reported it again for multiple oh, times yeah. it got removed again and yeah, so yeah, yeah. my account got temporarily blocked and now my views yeah. went down isn't oh, it something that you can expect to have though because you're going to be i mean you're going to talk about the things that passion to you or you find important you're going to be rubbing people off the wrong way 
the person that might be reporting you because you're going to anger people the more conservative ones mm. and i can see them like you know banding together <laughs> just to get you banned all the yeah, time like a group you yeah know, of like, course ban, ban, yeah of course <laughs> i mean it does happen because you're talking about things that the people don't want to change i mean it's not in the best interest of people even if they're thinking the wrong way for themselves and for the people around them it's not in their best interest to change change is scary it is so how do you face you know all those because you must have some trolls you must have some haters and things like that and i don't usually focus on them too much yeah. to be That's honest really good yeah. Yeah. yeah like i said i tend to focus on the positive side mm -hmm. you know and even if in the moments of doubt yeah. where when self-imposter syndrome comes up yeah i try to like you know rationalize things and just remember that there are people who appreciate what I do. And the most important thing is that I appreciate what I do. Mm -hmm. I don't just do it for, you know, to be famous or just to raise awareness. I do it also because I feel like that's my calling because that's what I feel is right. Mm -hmm. If I want to speak up, I'm going to speak up, yeah. you know, and if people don't like the way I do it, then yeah. sorry, not sorry. <laughs> of course. Yeah. 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 I, I, Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think every creator should think that way because <coughs> being a creator is also about expressing yourself. And mm. if you let those negative voices stop your own expression, yeah. it's not right because right. you are deserved to be heard. And especially what you are talking about, I think it deserves to be heard in Indeed. Vietnam. And it, sure. of course, we're always going to get haters. But, but I do appreciate feedback, though. Yeah. yeah. So I, I went to this uh, concert in Hanoi, and I found this guy who was a mutual friend. And then he, they were talking. I was sitting like at the back with a friend, and he pointed at me, and he was like, "Oh my god!" Like in exclamation, he ran up to me and was like, "You're the girl who made the expat video. I was <laughs> meaning to like find you and yeah. talk to you." And he gave me very constructive feedback that I really yes. appreciated, you know. So I'm still open to feedback. I'm just not open to unconstructive ones. Yeah. Yeah. If it's the just like, oh, you don't know shit, you know, <laughs> then no, pass. But if you're actually telling me that, oh, I really appreciated this, but I didn't appreciate this so much because of these reasons, I'm going to listen to you and yeah. I'm going to thank you at the end because that's going to make me mm -hmm. grow, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you are a good example for every creator out there. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much. Because yeah. you are completely right. That's one part, like focusing on a positive. And then the other part is like being able to receive constructive feedback to actually evolve further on as a creator. Mm. So I'm really excited where Bananoi gonna, where yeah. Bananoi gonna emerge again. <laughs> no pressure, Bananoi. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't yeah. have to be Bananoi. Yeah. It can be whoever, you, whatever you want to be speaking about. Like mm. don't, don't, bug yourself down on a name now yeah. also like say. don't bug yourself down just because of the structure yeah. i remember when i made the um, promise for myself that i'm gonna post every day on social media and i realized it didn't work for me to to be on social media that much and mm -hmm. i think you yourself gonna figure out what works for you the best mm. for your creativity for your creative flow and if it turns out like once a week on a on a strict deadline it's not gonna work for you then Mm -hmm. You're gonna find other ways, or exactly. I think that's what actually happened. That the reason of like the the break that I haven't released any new videos is that I got burned out, and then the lockdown in Hanoi happened, and it was the first time that it was so severe. And yeah. I live completely alone. All my friends they live with their roommates or with their Vietnamese families. I was alone. My mom was in Poland. Mm. I didn't have anybody to interact with. So it was very, very hard on me. And that's when I decided to actually start therapy for the first time. Mm. And it took a toll on my mental health so much that I kind of feared to, of to be on camera yeah. again and to talk to a camera again. Mm. Yeah. So I, I had to take a break. And the last video I published was actually about mental health, about mm. depression. And since then... I've been trying to recover by focusing on my social kind of experiences, focusing yeah. on my friends, going yeah. out a little bit more, being a sociable person again. Mm. Yeah. But now I'm starting to feel good about myself, so I'm going to jump in again. I think that's uh, the modern content creator because I've seen a lot of the people that I follow. I Sometimes I stop seeing them for a month or two and they're like, yeah, I was taking a social media break. Because self-care and mental health is right. ultimately is the most important. It is the most important. Yeah, so it's important to have those breaks. And there's this pressure, like I think 
I had that as well, like, oh my God, if I'm not going to post now, then people are going to forget about me. And especially mm. when you are at the beginning, like, oh my God, like, and then, you know, every channel, they, they just talk about like, consistency, consistency. Exactly. And then you can only be successful if you are consistent. And then you have the pressure like, oh, I, I'm at the beginning, so I have to be consistent. But then it, yeah. it doesn't work out the same way for everybody. And then I think self-care is still top priority. Yeah. And yeah. if that schedule burns you out, then the answer yeah. is follow another schedule. Yeah. <laughs> follow your rhythm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You follow your cycle. Yeah, follow your rhythm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, pr- I truly appreciate people that fucking take breaks. Mm, yeah. I, t- I took my break and people were like oh but like and uh, as soon as i started doing content or anything it's like oh so are you posting every week and everything and i'm like i'm just trying not to go crazy first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like okay let's celebrate the fact that i released one content yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah there's okay. always a recipe for yeah. success yeah. Right? yeah exactly so yeah. we are coming to kind of the end of the podcast mm-hmm. so i'm curious Ania, if you can shout out to the universe, <laughs> what would be for you right now? It's it's now, it's a little bit kind of your chance to say anything to the audience, to the universe. What do mm. you wish for in 2022 or even oh, further? <laughs> like my only wish for 2022 is for COVID to finally end. I don't know if it is realistic, but that is my one and only wish. I just wish to be able to actually leave the country for a little bit to visit my friend in Cyprus. That's what I've been wanting for like so, so long. Mm. And just like be able to walk in the street without the mask, not fearing physical touch, kissing people, hugging people without this anxiety in you thinking, mm-hmm. oh, I might catch COVID. Yeah. You know, yeah, I can relate to this that. paranoia. <laughs> I just yeah. want it to end as soon as possible so that we can go back to normalcy. Yes. I think we all wish for that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Oh my God. But thank you, Anya, really. For, thank you for so much for coming. having me. Yeah, no, thank big, you. Big, big pleasure. Yeah. I'm so honored. I loved our conversation. And... Yeah. You definitely have our support in any way that Thank you can, you so that much. you need, you know, yeah, when you come to Saigon or even anything like this. Mm. There is already a couple of people that I would love to introduce to you. That uh, would be great. That would be awesome. That I think would I be. And by the way, Anya is going to move to Saigon at some point. We're not going to reveal when yeah. <laughs> because she also doesn't know it yet. But <laughs> hopefully before I move come. to Danang. <laughs> are you moving to Danang? I'm trying to. Yes. Let's manifest this. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. By the end of this year, I'll be in Danang. Okay. Most likely. By the end of this year, I will be in Saigon. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank Anya. You. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Vietnam. If you like this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Also by sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.